Uh, you can uh, you can sit for a moment. I'm just situating myself. I don't know. I feel shorter today. Is this on? I don't know. Testing, 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 testing. You can't hear me, huh? <laughs> How about now? All right. Uh, we can hold off a second. You know, take a, I guess I can use this thing. All right. Am I working? Oh, awesome. All right. So I'd like to start off stealing from another pastor because I can do that. Um, at the school, we were, we were talking about uh, suffering, and uh, Pastor Eric preached the message on why suffering is so hard. So what I'd like to do is give you some of those truths from his message, which he preached here for us. And so one of them is suffering is so hard because it may take a long time. Suffering is so hard because we feel abandoned. Suffering is so hard, we're left to, we feel like we're left to fend for ourselves. We sometimes will have sorrow upon sorrow and wallow in our self-pity. Sometimes it seems like the enemy has the upper hand and we are almost okay with it. And sometimes it seems like death is the only option. Just to end, just to end all that suffering. But you know, I'd like to, I'd like to paint a picture um, that is simple that we can actually have really practical truths to build our lives upon on how to handle suffering. Suffering is difficult. By the way, we live in a world that is allergic to suffering. When you look at the Christian world and they say that you do not need to suffer at all, you'll never be sick, you'll never get hurt, you'll never die, that is not a gospel message. In fact, that is a lie because we will face trials in this world. It's not, you know, we don't suffer because we didn't have enough faith. Though I guess that could be at times. We suffer because God has willed it. God has planned it. He didn't miss a beat. He didn't go to sleep. He doesn't slumber nor sleep. He is the sovereign God who takes care of his people. So I want you to keep, in that, keep that in mind. I want this to be a very practical message. Now some of you are thinking, well, Tom, you kind of did that during... Uh, uh, counseling, yes I did. Or meds group, yes I did. But hopefully you'll get more because this is much more in depth uh, to what I've done before. So, we are going to be in Jeremiah. I know some of you are thinking, and that's different how? Well, last time it was Job, so. Hmm. Oh. Computer just jumped off the uh, podium. Maybe I don't need to preach with my notes, I don't know. But we're in Jeremiah. Chapter 15, verses 15 and 16. If you're able to stand, please stand as we read the word of God. O Lord, thou knowest, remember me and visit me. And revenge me of my persecutors. Take me not away in thy long suffering. Know that for thy sake I have suffered rebuke. Thy words were found and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Father, will you bless the reading of your word? And now, Lord God, bless the preaching of your word. Father, that Christ would be exalted, your name would be praised and honored and adored. Because, Father, where else can we go? We have the words of life and the words of hope. 
and the words of comfort and the words of grace. Thankful for your mercies today. In Jesus' name, amen. So you guys can sit. Uh, Pastor Eric read uh, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, that, you know, we, we have this, uh, this peace that we can have with God, even in the midst of it all. And so I'd like to read that, just kind of a jumping off point, because I, I find it funny how the service really comes together by his sovereign hand as well. So it's not a coincidence that we read this. It was God's, God's direction, if you will. Come to me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Then it says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Guys, this does not mean that the problem will go away. This does not mean that the circumstance will disappear. What this means is he walks with you through it. You know, I heard one pastor say that the reason why uh, this verse is here is because it was really weird that you're even, you know, while you're suffering, you're not going to hurt. You're always going to be joyful. Hold on a second. When you suffer, are you always joyful? Even when you know God's truth, are you always joyful? I got to say, many times I'm not so joyful, but I am content. Because he who walks with me is great and worthy to be praised. And so I want you to think about that as we talk about the practicalities that we can apply from Scripture about suffering. So Jeremiah wrote this passage in Jeremiah 15, 15, to cry out to the Lord and beg the Lord to remember him, to visit him. Sorry, just adjusting here. Um, and to visit him, to avenge him, not forsake him. For he wanted the Lord to know that he's been suffering for his, for his own sake, for God's sake. Well, today you will see that you can cry out to the Lord, for he knows your struggles. And so remember that he will remember you. He will visit you. He will fight for you. He will never forsake you. He will never leave you. And you can have hope in suffering and help from his word. So our first truth today, remember that the Lord knows your struggles. Guys, he knows every thought in your noggin before you even speak it. So when you think you're getting away with something that you thought, you didn't. Because he knows all those thoughts as well. Praise God he gives us grace through Christ. Because otherwise we'd all be condemned. And so, Jeremiah 15, 15 says, O Lord, thou knowest, remember me, visit me, and revenge me of my persecutors. Take me not away in thy long suffering. Know that for thy sake I've suffered rebuke. So he acknowledges that the Lord, the great I am, the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the tetragrammaton, the, the one, that is his name. It is what he is. And it's really funny that Revelation says, uh, Jesus says of himself, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, Omega uh, the one who was and is and is to come, the Almighty. Well, really, it, it's kind of almost a definition of Yahweh. He is. He was and he will be forever and ever the same. There is no change in him. So God knew the struggles he was going through. He knew that the people wouldn't listen to him. But we must also understand that God knew Jeremiah in a very intimate way. The Lord had set him aside 
formed him together in his mother's womb, called him to be a prophet to the nations. Now I want you to notice, a prophet to the nations, not to the nation. Nation normally is Judah and Israel. But this is plural, because God is going to judge all the peoples around Judah. That's what, he's, that's what he does. And isn't it funny how Pharaoh's captain knew that the people were going to go be given into Babylon's hands because they also knew of Jeremiah's words. And that's just interesting. You can look that up on your own. By the way, that wind is picking up. I don't know if that's a cue for me to speed up or slow down. Okay, so before God made Jeremiah and formed him and knit him together, he knew, he sanctified him, he set him apart. And if you're in Christ today, he has done the same with you. He has set you apart for his own glory for his own honor and for his own praise. If you're here and you do not know Christ, guess what? He knows you too. And he also has a plan for you. And if you do not look to Christ, even the wicked are made for the day of destruction. Just saying, not trying to be mean. So, he did not leave Jeremiah wondering what he must say, but God puts his words into his, into his mouth so that Jeremiah would be equipped to be a prophet to the nations. He knew the plan that he had for Jeremiah to prosper him. You know that verse we pull out of context over and over and over again? Let me just say, 40 years of preaching and no one listens. In the book, we only really see three believers. Some want to say in chapter 35 that these people uh, that are there are believers. They're not. They didn't leave their God like the Jewish people left theirs. And three people that are believers, Jeremiah, Baruch, and some eunuch dude. That's it. Forty years of preaching. I don't know. I might want to give up after that. Maybe before that. So what we see happening here is... Jeremiah is going to struggle. Here's what God says about Jeremiah in Jeremiah 119. This is, this is God's promise. Are you ready? And they shall fight against you. Oh, great. That's exciting. But watch what happens next. But they shall not prevail against thee, for I am with thee, saith the Lord, to deliver you. They will not win, for I win. I deliver. I set free. I'm the one who takes care of his people. And so, they will not prevail. So if you're here and you're in Christ, which means you belong to him, you've been bought by him, you've been blood bought by the precious blood of Christ, you've repented of your sins, you've believed the gospel, you have turned from your sin, you've trusted Christ for your salvation, and mark my words, he knows your struggles. And he knows your hurt. He knows your pain. He knows everything and every tear that you shed are in his bottle. And he has them and he knows them. But even those tears are for the glory of his name. So he knows the hearts of men. By the way, he knows the hearts of men who believe and those who do not believe. He knows them all. And he could turn the hearts of a king like he turns a river, it says in Proverbs. Here's what it says in Hebrews 2.18, dear saints. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Now I know 
You, like me, are thinking, yes, succor makes perfect sense. Or not. Succor means comfort. So God comforts his people. Jesus was, was the one who comforts his people. So when you're going through trials, temptations, hurts, pains, he actually understands. He knows Jesus himself suffered and stood firm. And he is able to comfort them who are in any struggle, any brokenness, any pain. Because when temptation comes, remember, he knows and he will help in the midst of that. Here's what it says in Hebrews 4.15. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. But it was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Listen to that. He was tempted in every way like you and I and did not sin. He is the perfect Lamb of God, and He is able to hold us. He actually understands. That's why we can take on His burden, His yoke, for it is easy and light. Because what He does is He takes our burden, our brokenness. And He gives us His peace that surpasses all understanding. For our great high priest, Jesus Christ, is someone we can identify with but only because he has identified with us. He became one of us. He didn't come in the form of an angel to die for angels. He came in the form of man to die for men. To redeem a people for himself. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him to be sin. Now listen. God had made Jesus to be sin. And he knew no sin. He became the very thing that God hated because of our sin. Remember, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. That we might become the righteousness of God in Christ, as the verse continues. So he became sin so we could become his righteousness. The, the innocent one becomes guilty so the guilty ones can become innocent? Guys, that should boggle your mind. I don't understand it either, but that should say, Hallelujah! What a Savior! What a Savior. So, if you're here and you do not know Christ, He knows all about you, and He is ready and willing to grant you eternal life and the righteousness of His own Son. He knows where you have been. He knows what you've been through. And he's ready and able to forgive. He died on a tree so that you can be free when you repent and believe the gospel. Guys, he wasn't cursed for his sinning. He was cursed for ours. And the punishment of his peace is upon us that believe. So, how do we continue? All right, God knows. He knows all things. But the cool thing is the next one is God remembers his promises. He does. It's what the verse actually says. Listen to this. It's brilliant. Jeremiah 15, 15. Oh, Lord, thou knowest, remember me. That's pretty clear. He's begging God to remember. To remember. This is an imperative. He is begging. He is pleading. You know, you know though it doesn't come in Jeremiah's timing. And by the way, guess what? It doesn't come in. Our timing. He is 
banking on God's promises here. He's pleading with God not to forget him. As if God forgets and has amnesia. Okay? Yes, he forgets our sin as far as the east is from the west. But God doesn't forget anything. He chooses not to remember them. When we look to his son for salvation. So, he's begging God. God faithfulness brings God's blessing. But maybe it doesn't always bring God's blessings in our timing. So we have to remember that. But God always remembers those who trust in him. Even when he was foretelling the judgment in the book of Leviticus. Okay, you know the book that Moses wrote? Hundreds of years before Jeremiah. And this is what it says. Okay, first he says, if, this is Leviticus 26.40. If they should confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers um, with their trespass, that they have trespassed against me, and that also they have walked contrary to me. If they were to confess. By the way, that sounds almost like repentance. If they were to repent. I wouldn't want to push a New Testament context on this. But I believe there's a New Testament context on this. He wants them to confess sin, both theirs and their fathers. He wants them to acknowledge that they walked against them. They, he wants them to not only acknowledge that they walked against them, but actually... Repent! I know that's a, a, a foreign thought there, but isn't that what God calls us to do? To acknowledge our sin? To agree with him that our sin is exceedingly sinful? Guys, let me just help you here. Sin is not a mistake. Sin is wickedness and sin. Why do we want to minimize sin? Oh, I know why. Because we want to feel good about ourselves. Because it's all about me. It's all about you, right? Oh, at last I checked, it's not about you and I at all, is it? Okay, maybe that's too much. Good. So, but if they were to do this, God promises them amazing things. Listen to Leviticus 26:42. Listen to the words, you ready? Then I will what? Remember. I'm going to read it again. Then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac, and also my covenant with Abraham. And listen, will I remember, and will also, and will remember the land. So he, it's also, God remembers his covenant. God does not have amnesia. He, he purposely puts his people away for a time in order to bring them back. Because God is a gracious and merciful God, because he keeps his promises to, to the generations, to the faithful. And so, how many went into this exile that Jeremiah has been calling for? Some of you heard this. It's 4,600 out of possibly millions of people. 4,600 people went in to the exile. That was for their good and benefit. That means everyone else, aside from the poor, which took care of the land, died in their rebellion and sin. Died in their unbelief. And so... But God remembers. It is, oh, by the way, it's okay to ask God to remember. Because all you're doing is preaching the gospel to yourself. You remember the promises of God, and you beg God to remember them as well. There's nothing wrong with that. It is good to claim God's promises. It is okay. If you're struggling with hurt and pain, remember that you were not promised freedom from suffering, but you were promised 
that he would not leave you alone in the midst of the suffering. Here's what Pro Proverbs, um, I said uh, Psalm here, but Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are saved. You ever hear that song before? The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are saved. He, oh wow, I got hands over there. That's horrible. Sorry, I didn't expect it. Okay, so if you're in Christ, God will not forget. And if you die, you're his. But if you're not in Christ, God will not forget. And if you die, you are not his. But you're promised only one thing, judgment, because he must remember your sin. Because you have not trusted in his dear son. But there's hope for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. I love Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon was, uh, was distraught and he's in a storm. I think it was a snowstorm. And he's walking and he sees this small little Methodist church. And he walks in and he goes, the preaching was not particularly good. It was a deacon who just kept on saying, uh, he was pre quoting from Isaiah. And all he kept on saying is, look to Christ. Look to Christ. And he says, that night I looked to Christ. Guys, he repented and believed the gospel. Became the prince of preachers. And so, awesome stuff. I love it. God is the one who saves. So God knows. God remembers. And then, God will visit. God will visit you. Look what it says. Jeremiah 15, 15. Oh Lord, thou knowest. Remember me and... Visit me. Now, in the Old Testament, visit doesn't always have a positive connotation. When God visits his people for sin, it's to take them down and judge them. But when he visits his people, those that know him, he comforts them and holds them and helps them. Because that's what God does. So all, the, all, Jer all Job, yeah, Jeremiah is doing here is he's banking on the fact that God is with his people. And he visits his people. He desired God's presence, God's confirming hand. He wanted God's care for him to be apparent to all, to evident not only to himself, but even to his persecutors and prosecutors, to his disobedient people. He wanted to be comforted and confirmed by God himself. He wanted to know that he is doing what God has commanded. Guys, if you're doing what God's word says, you will do what God commands, even in the midst of brokenness. So, is it wrong to desire to be confirmed by God? Absolutely not. Just know if it doesn't come in your timing or your way, it's not time to give up. It's time to draw near and draw close to the one who holds and keeps. So it's not wrong to want to be confirmed by God. I want to give you an example from the New Testament because, you know, we're in the Old Testament, right? New Testament doesn't have any of this confirming stuff, does it? Well, there's a guy by the name of John the Baptist, okay? Cousin of Jesus, left in the womb, you know, been preaching the baptism of repentance. He's pointing people to the light that was to come, pointing them to Jesus. And he's in jail, about to die, and he goes, could you go ask Jesus a question for me? Go ask him if he's the guy, or should we wait for another? So you think, okay. Uh, that's interesting. Why? He was just confirming 
And this is what he says. Are you the one that should come or should we look for another? Matthew 11.3. By the way, isn't it interesting that in another 20 or so verses, there is, come to me who are, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's awesome. So, so does that mean John the Baptist was wrong in asking? Absolutely not. All Jesus says, you've seen everything I've done, go tell him that. And so, John knew that it was the Christ, but in his suffering, he sought confirmation. Guys, it's not wrong. Paul was speaking to the Philippians, and he was speaking to them about the unity in the gospel and how they share in his suffering. And he writes of their persecution and says, in the midst of this persecution, I could do all things through... Oh, how's that verse go? Christ who strengthens me. Guys, I, I can't win a football game through Christ who strengthens me. He doesn't guarantee a football win. Now, for those of you who like sports, I'm sorry. I, if you want to put that on your face, I have at it. But I'm not sure that's a guarantee that you'll win the game. Because if it was, I mean, the Phillips should win every game, right? Sorry, that was a joke. All right. All right so, so in the midst of suffering, God is in us. And he is, by the way, saint of God, his Holy Spirit dwells in you. He lives in you. He empowers you. Saint of God, if you're feeling, if you're feeling as if you can't see God's presence, feel God's presence, and you truly belong to him, do not be dismayed. For the Spirit of God doesn't move out. The Spirit of God doesn't vacate the premises. The Spirit of God remains in God's people. That should comfort you. That should help you. He doesn't move out. So read, study, pray, be faithful to what God has said in his word, and God will comfort and heal and restore. I love Spurgeon. I might as well quote him again, right? God is too good to be unkind. He is too wise to be confused. Listen, brothers, if I cannot trace his hand, I can always trust his heart. If I cannot trace his hand, I can always trust his heart. So let's see if we can encourage you with God's word. How many, would you like a little encouragement? Ready? Machine gun approach. Psalm 147.3. He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. He heals the brokenhearted and he binds them up. He comes near and he wraps them up. God is personal. By the way, the next verse after that says, he numbers the stars and gives them all a name. But you, dear saint, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Or Psalm 34, 17. The righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. God delivers out of all their troubles. It may not be in our timing. It may not be while we're alive. But one day, one day, all this will pale in comparison to being with Jesus. Or Psalm 55, 22. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Or 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your care upon him, for he careth 
for you. So, if you're here and you do not know Christ, He will visit you on the day of judgment, and He will visit you with judgment. But, Christ died so you can have life. Christ died so you can have hope. Christ died, and Christ is the hope of glory, the one that we can rely on. So God knows, God remembers, you know, you know, and he, he visits, and then he fights. He fights. Look what it says. God will fight. Watch what he says. Jeremiah 15, 15. Lord, thou knowest, remember me, visit me, and revenge me of my persecutors. Now, <laughs> now, I know Jeremiah is thinking, man, Lord, take him out. But guys, God fights for us. He is, you know, I, I want you to think of the armor of God for a moment. You have the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, right? You, you have this shield of faith, and you have this sword of the spirit. But isn't it interesting that there is no rear armor? That always boggles my mind. It's because we're always supposed to be going forward because God has got the back. Isn't that cool? And so as you think that through, God is the one that takes care of us and fights for us. He's the one that protects us from the fiery darts. And so he wants God to revenge him and to avenge him. He wants his pers persecutors to be punished and dealt with. He wants God to go, to go against those who are against him because he's preaching the truth of God. He desires for God to be his, pros uh, for his protector and his avenger. He desires that God would fight. By the way, this is not a foreign concept. I want you to think about what it says in Psalm 35.1. By the way, at a time of deep discouragement and hurt and being mistreated by a fellow pastor from this town, Pastor Doug gave me some words of comfort. One was in Psalm 35.1. Plead my cause, O Lord with them that strive with me. Fight against them who fight against me. And all, all Pastor Doug says is, Tom, you can't fight this one. God must fight. You just stand. David, the king of Israel, the man after God's own heart, is begging God to be his lawyer. How do I know? Plead my cause. Take up the youth. Plead my case. You fight against them that fight against me. Or you could possibly say Psalm 1, I mean 43, 1. Psalm 43, 1. By the way, this one was also from Pastor Doug. Judge me, O God, and plead my cause or plead my case with an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. So even here in, in this Psalm, David uses this legal term. Fight for me. But against who? Against an ungodly nation. He wasn't talking about the pagans. He was talking about those who supposedly were believers of God. Protect me from your people, oh God. That can't be good. But here he is. David is at his wit's end, and he's calling for God to be his avenger. If you're in Christ, this is who God is. God fights for us in the midst of our struggles. He grants us strength in the midst of our brokenness. He will even give us peace in the midst of our hurt and our persecution. Because Christ is the advocate. 
Christ is the one that stands in your defense. Christ is the lawyer. And how do I know that? 1 John 2, 1. My little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have a, an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Or Jesus Christ, the righteous one, is the one who fights on our behalf. Who is it that can condemn? Christ that died, gave rather is risen, and seated at the right hand of the throne of God, interceding for us still. That's Romans 8.34. It's brilliant. We have an amazing protector. He is the one. If Christ is not your savior, then he's not your advocate. He's your judge. Turn from sin and trust the one that can save your soul. So God knows and remembers. He visits. He fights. And he will not forsake. He will not forsake. Watch what happens. He says, O Lord, thou knowest, remember me, visit me, and revenge me of my persecutors. And the reason why I use forsake is, listen to the next part. It says, take me not away in thy long suffering. Lord God, be patient with me. Don't forsake me. Don't cast me away. Don't abandon me. And so, he does not want the Lord to take him away in his long suffering. He wants God to be patient with him. Jeremiah did plead. He begged that God were allowed to see punishment on his people. You know, for his people to be rebuked. And so one translation implies that he's begging the Lord to not be so patient with his enemies that he would not allow his enemies to kill him before he sees their judgment. Okay, maybe that it's interesting is all. And so God will not condemn his saints in his wrath, but those who do not believe they will be gathered together in his wrath and in his judgment eternally. Hebrews 13, 5. Listen, dear saints, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never, listen, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. This is in the New Testament. We're not even talking about Joshua where it says he will never leave nor forsake. He tells him to walk courageously and valiantly. We're told again that he will not leave nor forsake. So we should not rejoice in the judgment of the wicked. And we don't, I don't want people to go to hell. Do you? So we plead, we beg, we, we contend. And if they go, as Charles Spurgeon has said, here's a paraphrase for you. If they're going to go to hell, may they trip over our dead bodies getting there. How is that to be spent for the gospel? We should be desperate for them to have salvation. We should constantly have the word of God on our lips and in our tongues. We should constantly be preaching the gospel, not only to ourselves, which is right and good, but to those who need the gospel. By the way, that is saints and non-saints alike. We all need the gospel. First John 4, 4, year of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is what? In you than he who is in this world. 
Guys, there's a real enemy, and he lost. Greater is he that dwells in us than he who dwells in this world. God is in us through his Holy Spirit, and he's greater than the evil one, for Jesus has already won. Or John 16, 33, Take these things I have spoken unto you, uh, these things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace, but in the world you shall have tribulation. Oh, Guys, if that were there, we'd be fine. But in this world, we'll have tribulation. But this is what he says. Here's the encouragement, Mr. Bill. Be of good cheer. God, you're my only hope. I'm doing this for you. He tells the Lord to remember his faithfulness as if God forgot. Okay? He is desperately desires for the Lord of heaven to remember that he is doing all God has willed him to do. And he is suffering persecution by the hands of his own people. Jeremiah has been handpicked by God, the God who formed him, the God who knew him and set him aside. He is suffering for God's sake, for Christ's sake. He is suffering. By the way, it's okay to remind God of his promises. He doesn't forget them. But guys, you're preaching the gospel to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself. He remembers his promises. The marks of a believer who suffer for the sake of Christ. Think about that. We are strengthened. Here's what it says in Colossians 1.11. Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience, long-suffering, with joyfulness. Okay. Strengthened with all might. Strengthened with all power. So we get power. How? According to his glorious power. We get it from God. But not only that, we do so with patience. And long suffering I know I know it's a long word ready say it with me long suffering okay sorry too much okay listen guys long suffering means we will suffer long sometimes goes back to the truths we started with from Pastor Eric's message doesn't it sometimes it feels like it goes on a long time so he wants to be strengthened according to God's power, God's power alone, his glorious power. He wants God, he, he wants God to move in him and help him. So guys, God gives us patience and the ability to suffer long for his sake, for the sake of Christ, so that we would live in lives worthy of the gospel, being content in the suffering they must endure for Christ's sake. Guys, can we be content in suffering? I know, no one wants to think about that. But guys, as Christians, we need to be okay with suffering. Not might happen, but will happen. That's hard. That goes against the grain of our Christian t uh, Christianity today. God gives his church the power to suffer well that's why paul can say i could do all things through christ who strengthens me he's learned how to be in plenty and in want but guys suffering is the lot of the true church how do i know romans 8 18 says this and i reckon now most of you expected me to say that's how we know paul's southern and guess what i am going to say that because i reckon but I reckon that the suffering of this present time, listen, are not worthy to, to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed. One day, all your suffering will melt away and the glories of Christ will overtake it. One day, 
One day, all the brokenness, all the pain, all the hurt, if you are in Christ, he will wipe away every tear from your eyes. That's almost Bible, isn't it? Allie, thanks for that song, by the way. Just saying. Okay? But every tear, all our suffering for the sake of Christ will never compare to the glory which shall be revealed. Guys, one day our faith will become sight. Our hope will become realized. And we will live in the love of Christ for eternity. That is something to hope in. So we can remember his great promises. By the way, the word of God actually says we can come boldly before him. Uh, this is uh, Hebrews 4.16. Let us come boldly, therefore, before the throne of grace and receive mercy and grace when? In our time of need. Guys, I have come to grips with, I need him to breathe. I really have. It's become even more clearer post-COVID. But I need him to breathe. So if you know Christ, there are, just, there are blessings forevermore. If you say you know Christ and yet you walk in darkness, you may not know him. You need to look to him. You say you know him. Here's the question. Would Christ agree that he knows you? God knows, remembers, visits, fights. He will not forsake. But guys, there's hope in his word. There's hope in his word. So that's the last one. Is there hope in his word? And this is where we're going to land. Here's uh, Jeremiah 15, 16. Listen, thy words were found. And I did eat them. And thy word was unto me what? The joy and rejoicing of my heart. Watch what he says next. So he gets joy and rejoicing because he ate God's word. It was, it was, it was delicious to him. It was a delight to him. Then he says this, listen. For what? I am called by your name. We have been blood bought and blood paid we are called by his name by his name so let me end with a recap of the truths god knows remembers visits fights doesn't forsake he knows our suffering is for his glory and our good and there is help in his word that will produce joy when we rightly read it, pray about it, and apply it. Then I'd like to just consider this. These are, these are the responses from Pastor Eric's message. So we pray and consider. Constantly and continually preach the gospel to ourselves. And we praise him through every circumstance. Though our circumstances may not change, God will change us in the midst of our circumstances and conform us to the image of Christ. Let me leave you with one last note. One last note. Without suffering, you will not grow. So it's time to rejoice in your suffering, even though it's hard. I can't imagine the things that the Nicholson family is struggling with. I can't imagine the loss that you guys are struggling with. But this is what I know. God grows us in the midst of suffering. If you've read the Bible, you probably see that that's true. Let's pray. Father, be glorified and lifted up. Be honored and adored, Lord God. Thank you for your mercies. Lord God, like the song says,
When you lead me to the Valley of Vision, I can see you in the heights. Though my humbling wouldn't be my decision, it's here your glory shines so bright. Let me learn that the cross precedes the crown. To be low is to be high. That the valley is where you make me more like Christ. So Lord God, we praise you for the mountaintops and we praise you for the valleys. Help us to practically live that out. In Jesus' name, amen.